You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, while the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Welcome to the show. I'm Joshua Jonah Fishman, and I'm joined by Lauren Lee Chen. Our other co-host, Aaron Fishman, unfortunately, is not with us today, but the show must go on. Our first segment today is going to be devoted to Hawks Talk. Earlier in the week, we had Lang Whitaker on, and we're just going to keep the ATL vibes rolling. First, let's talk about preseason expectations, Lauren. Do you believe that it's fair that so many basketball experts were sleeping on the Hawks after last season's historic performance? I sort of agree with Lang in that the Hawks should have been mentioned among the teams that have been in the conversation for biggest competitors to Cleveland in the East. They had 60 wins last season, and that doesn't happen by accident. But at the same time, I think the Hawks were sort of a surprise last season, and you always worry about whether those types of surprise teams will have more of a regression to the mean in the next season. You sort of saw that happen last season with the Phoenix Suns, who two years ago had a great season, and everyone was expecting them to do good things coming into last season. But they had sort of a disappointment of a season that was probably a little bit more in line with their actual abilities than their surprise season two seasons ago. Com- that compounded with the loss of Damari Carroll, who is a huge contributor, especially defensively, and could shoot threes really well. I think they'll win more than 48 games. I thought that was a little bit on the low end. I don't think it's that much of a slight to think they could end up as the third or fourth seed in the East. I think it's just balancing expectations. And a lot of the other teams in the East made some big moves, and people were pretty hype about the Wizards, especially with the John Wall and Bradley Beal backcourt improving. So I can understand how those are sexier picks than the Hawks, who keep pretty much the same core. But they got off to a good start. Hopefully they can continue it through the season. I agree with a lot of your points, Lauren. 48 wins, that's a ridiculous number in Vegas for over-under for the Hawks. As good as they were last season, Coach Budenholzer's still there. They returned pretty much everyone except Amari Carroll, who obviously was a big part of the team. But still, 48 wins, that's a joke. That said, I don't expect them to far and away be the second best team in the East. The Bulls are great. They have a strong, deep roster. The Miami Heat look really good on paper, and they're playing pretty well, too. Like you said, Lauren, Bradley Beal and John Wall, those guys are young. They're the future of the NBA. The East is deep. It's it's not like the, the East of a couple years ago or even last season. So there are no guarantees for the Hawks, but they should be good. I expect them to be good again. Now, the Hawks have been struggling recently. Coming into the Kings game, losers of four of their last five. They did beat the Kings in a close game, and the Kings were playing without DeMarcus Cousins. One of their losses during this recent stretch was against the lowly Nets. So they're really not playing well. 
A lot of that may have to do with injuries. Jeff Teague's been out. Kent Bazemore's injured. Ankle injuries now to both Kyle Korver and Tavo Cephalosha. Lauren, what role do you think the injuries have played in the Hawks' recent struggles? And how well do you think they can recover from these injuries? The Hawks team, as constructed, they're so reliant on each of their individual parts. Since we always talk about them as a team with no superstars that play as the epitome of a team with Teague, Corver, Millsap, Horford, all playing relatively equal roles, and then Bazemore and Cephalosha and other guys playing good supporting. But if even any of those guys are injured, they're a much worse team. We mentioned in our show on Wednesday, they were going through some injury troubles in the playoffs. And without those core guys playing at their best, they can struggle sometimes. Will they be able to recover from this? You'd hope so once Teague gets back. I think now Teague is day-to-day. He missed a few games during that four-out-of-five stretch of losses. But you hope that they can get back into it. But mostly you hope that the team's going to be healthy for the playoffs this time around. I think you're right, Lauren, that the Hawks can definitely recover. But they do need these guys back. I think Jeff Teague, as well as the young Dennis Schroeder, has been playing at point guard. They need Teague. Without Jeff Teague, they're a completely different team. Kent Bazemore, now that Damari Carroll's gone, they need his defense and length at the three. He's so versatile, and, and he's been shooting that corner three extremely well, as Lang mentioned on Wednesday. Tavo Cephalosha's defense is also crucial. And Kyle Korver, he completely changes the game. He might be the most valuable of all those injured players. The spacing he creates when he is not playing is a lot easier for teams to guard everyone else on Atlanta's roster. So all hope is not lost in Atlanta. The Hawks can definitely recover and go far in the playoffs. They just need to get healthy because these players are crucial. Now I want to talk about this offseason, Tiago Splitter was probably the biggest acquisition the Hawks made. Do you think it was a good acquisition, Lauren? I think the acquisition of Tiago Splitter was a little bit of a reaction to how the Hawks got beat in the playoffs. When they were playing the Cavaliers, those Cavs bigs were just too big for them. Thompson was just destroying them on the defensive rebounding. Thompson on the offensive rebounding was killing Atlanta's defensive rebounders. Right. Splitter is going to make a big impact there. Not that many teams, especially in the East, play with that same type of dominant front court play that Cleveland has. So, so far in this season, Splitter hasn't played that much under 20 minutes a game, but he's just some someone that you like to have in your back pocket just for defensive purposes. He doesn't give you that much on offense and actually probably sort of disrupts the type of scheme that the Hawks are going for where you have pretty much everyone on the court being a threat to shoot from outside. Tiago doesn't give you that on offense, but he gives you rebounding, interior defense, and that's something that the Hawks have been missing these past few years. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is an interesting fit because Tiago doesn't shoot the three. And um, as Lang mentioned, it's likely going to take a while to integrate Splitter effectively into the offensive schemes. 
maybe if ever. But if I had Tiago Splitter in my back pocket, my pants would probably rip because the guy is pretty tall. But um, if I had an NBA team and I took it figuratively, not literally, I think that I, that it, it would be nice to have him there because he's he's big, plays good defense. Another thing that Lang talked about that I want to get to is Paul Millsap. He cited Millsap as the Hawks' most important player last season and this season again. That's something that a lot of people might take issue with. What do you think, uh, Lauren? Do you agree with that? I agree to some extent. I think Millsap is, as much as there can be in that scheme, the focal point on their offense and probably their best rebounder on their team, with apologies to Al Horford. You don't need to apologize to Horford. (laughs) He hasn't been rebounding that well this season. Yeah, but I don't think there can be a single most important player for a team like the Hawks. I think, as I mentioned before, any of those top four, five, six even guys, if you lose them or if they're not, if they're somehow hampered, the Hawks team is going to suffer. Every single player on that team has a defined role that they play, which makes everyone else on their team who's playing with them better, that accentuates each of their individual skills. And I think every player on that team is important. We talked about how Corvish elite shooting creates so much space for every other player. Horford is defensively great. He's great in the pick and roll, pick and pop. A good shooter too. This season, he's shooting well from the three. Yeah. Millsap is a guy that can just attack the defenses when he's on offense with the ball. And Teague is the glue, the facilitator that makes everything run. So I think all of those guys are important to the team. I don't think it's fair to single out a single player as the most important as much as you can for other teams. It doesn't necessarily make for a great radio or podcast material, but I completely agree with you, Lauren. I think that you can't really um, single out Paul Millsap as the guy, the most important player on the team, because Kyle Korver's on the team, Jeff T, Horford. Those guys are equally valuable. You take any one of those guys out of the lineup, you're screwed, I think. They don't really have players that, that can just sub in and make up for the impact that would be lost. The closest they have is probably Schroeder, filling in fatigue, but even then, Schroeder at 22 is nowhere near the veteran that Teague is. As Lang mentioned, he makes a lot of mistakes, and he's kind of raw still. So you really would lose a lot if any one of these Hawks All-Stars were to go out with an injury. That wraps up our Hawks talk for the week. We want to thank again Lang Whitaker for being our guest last episode. He was amazing. Time will tell if the Hawks can recover and regain their form from last season. Welcome back, listeners. A few episodes ago... I asked Aaron and Joshua which game they thought would be the Warriors' first loss, and both of them pointed to Thursday night's game at the Clippers. At one point in the game, the Clippers were leading by 23 points, and it looked like our prediction might come true, but the Warriors made a late-game rally and 
were able to win the game 124 to 117. Joshua, how did the Clippers let this one slip away? I know you have a lot of opinions on this. Funny, I don't recall making that prediction. Okay, fine. You got me. The Clippers' offense just got stagnant. They were settling for long shots. Jamal Crawford was shooting far too much for my liking, just hoisting up wild shots. He went 6-for-16 in the game, 1-for-7 from 3. Basically, the same thing happened in this game as happened in the previous Clippers-Warriors matchup where the Clippers blew a late 10-point lead. Blake Griffin and Chris Paul were the only Clippers on the court who could score. And when you're playing Golden State, the best team in the NBA, you have to have more than two options. Now, this offseason, Doc Rivers revamped that bench, got guys like Josh Smith, Lance Stevenson, who Rivers didn't even feel comfortable playing one minute in the game, and DeAndre Jordan um, at the end... They couldn't really find him for easy dunks. They just couldn't score. And Golden State, I saw a crazy ESPN stat recently that they're 3-3 three and three when trailing by a certain amount of points. Golden State, since the beginning of last season, is 3-3 three and three when they're in a game that they've trailed by 20 at any point. And all the other teams in the NBA, the, the winning percentage was so minuscule. Yeah, it was about 3%, I think. Yeah. So that just goes to show you, you can never get complacent when you're playing the Warriors. I remember the Clippers were up 79-64 in the third quarter, and Chris Paul missed a three. And I thought, oh, here it goes. The Warriors are going to come back and win. And I know I can't have it both ways with predicting everyone to win, but it, it just seemed like the writing was on the wall. The Clippers are are not, I don't feel good about it when they have big leads against a team as good as Golden State. Despite the loss, they were as dominant as we've seen a team be against Golden State in the first half, especially the first quarter from Chris Paul, who seemed like he couldn't miss a shot and was facilitating the offense as well. Is there anything positive that we can take away from this? Do you think they revealed a scheme to possibly expose any weaknesses in this seemingly indestructible Warriors team. There definitely are encouraging signs, if you're a Clippers fan, to take from the game. Now, for the second consecutive time, they got out to a huge lead against the defending champions, the best team in the NBA. Obviously, they're doing things right to get up to such a big lead. They're doing two things well. One... On the offensive end, they're they're fast-breaking, and they're pushing it, and they're letting their two stars, Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, do their things. And the second thing that they did great was how they were defending the Warriors. They weren't letting Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson shoot threes. Obviously, those guys have quick triggers, and they can get their shots off. But for the most part, they were running up on them, and forcing them to drive. A lot of times, Stephen Curry will be successful anyway, but you'd rather him make a two-point shot than a three-point shot. And they were also causing him to get kind of frustrated, and he was turning the ball over a lot in the first half. A second encouraging sign from the game is how well they played without J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick is an extremely valuable part of their offense. And even without him, 
they had a huge lead. They were blowing out the defending champs. So even though they blew the, a big lead and they ended up losing, and we know the rest, Golden State is still undefeated, terrible loss for the Clippers. It's not that terrible. It's still encouraging to see them playing with the big boys in the NBA. It shows that they're a contender, I think. The Warriors closed out this game with their small lineup of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Harrison Barnes, and Draymond Green. This is their third most used lineup this season, but they've only played 48 minutes together. They used it a lot in the playoffs last year, and it's been dominant. In those 48 minutes so far, they've put up a net rating of plus 62. That means they're outscoring opponents by 62 points per 100 possessions, which is insane. Wow. Since this lineup is so effective, why don't you think they go to it more? They they only use it for probably maybe 10 minutes in close games and maybe not at all in games that they're already winning. I think it's an amazing lineup. And the, the reason why they don't go to it more often, I feel, is because... Steve Kerr, um, when he was on the bench, and now Luke Walton. I think that, that they don't want to use it too much because it's kind of like a secret weapon. And they only use it when they feel like they need to. If they're trailing at the end or they need a big comeback. And obviously they use it a lot in the playoffs. So I think it's one of those things, like you hear Craig, Greg Popovich resting his old older players these fast, energetic guys playing small, it's exhausting. It's a long season. They're only 13 games in. As of now, they just don't need to be playing these guys all together. And they space and staggering their minutes seems like kind of a, a more effective, efficient use of their energy. Right. I completely agree. This small lineup, while it's dominant in small stretches, it's a exhausting to play all the time especially for Draymond Green who we'll come back to later him playing the five he's more than capable of doing it but during these regular season games it's such a long season and sometimes it's probably better for those players bodies to play a more traditional lineup with Andrew Bogut or Festus Azili at center who are very capable players and themselves they're both they've both been great. Bogut is a former NBA all defense player and Festus Tazili has really been coming into his own this season. Back to Draymond Green though, he was a huge part of their late game comeback against the against the Clippers. What's your opinion as a statement that Draymond Green is the second best player on the Warriors? My response to that statement is I completely agree, Lauren. I recently wrote an article for VantageSports.com about Draymond Green. It's called Draymond Green, Golden State's Other MVP. He is so valuable, almost as valuable to the team as Stephen Curry, the league MVP. And the reason for that is Draymond Green does so many things well. He's an elite defender. In my opinion, he should have been the defensive player of the year last season, finished second, although he did garner the most first-place votes. His rebounding is solid. His passing, it's its unbelievable. He had nine assists against the Clippers. Um, he's averaging se- over seven assists per game. Yeah, he's leading the Warriors in assists, which is crazy for a big man. Yeah, uh, that's up from last season's total of 
three average of three point seven. So he's really picking it up on the distribution side of things. We already saw that um, in the playoffs. They're letting Green bring the ball up and find guys. And um, when you have guys like Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, Andre Iguodala, those guys get open. And Green's probably the best passing big man in the game now. He has by far the most assists per game of any non-point guard in the NBA this season. Another thing that Green is doing amazingly well so far this season is shooting the three. This season, he's shooting well over 40% from deep. And he shot 33.7% from deep last season, up to 44% this season. So far, he's made 22 of 53s. That's pretty impressive. He hit a huge three against the Clippers to end the third quarter that really shifted momentum. He's just unbelievable. I love this guy. I don't like how much he showboats as a Clippers fan because it's usually at our expense. But other than that, can't say enough great things about about Draymond Green. Yeah, I don't think it's possible to overstate the impact Draymond Green has on the defensive end, especially, as you mentioned, you thought he should have been the defensive player of the year. He allows Golden State to have all that versatility in their lineups just because he can guard fives, he can guard even ones yeah. if he wants, like, it, in the in the switches in the pick and roll, he's perfectly capable of guarding the opposing point guard. He's quick enough to do that. He has the instincts, but he's also strong enough to bang with the big guys under the basket. And that is so valuable for a team. It, allow, it, it allows Luke Walton and Steve Kerr to be creative with their lineups and really disrupt other teams' offensive systems. That's a great point about Draymond being able to guard every position on the floor. It's amazing to me when Chris Paul gets a big guy on him, nine times out of ten, no, let's say 99 out of 100, he kills that guy. He'll he'll do some move and then shoot a step back three and he'll be way too quick, or he'll drive past the, the slower guys to the hoop and, and get his, his basket easily. When Green's on him, he, he doesn't necessarily have an advantage. And since the Clippers are a key rival and a team the Warriors will probably have to get through to, to defend their title, that's big that if need be on a switch, Green can handle CP3. Yeah, this was just another installment in the ongoing Clippers-Warriors rivalry. That's probably the best rivalry we have in the NBA right now. Every game seems to be close, especially this season. Both both games of Warriors made a late game comeback. Sorry that you were you and Aaron were on the wrong side of that so far this season, but hopefully in the future matchups it'll swing the other way. Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate that. I just want to mention that Lawler's Law, Ralph Lawler, the Clippers' longtime play-by-play guy, he has a law that states, and it's not scientifically proven as you will see, the first team to 100 wins. Both times this season, the Clippers and Warriors have played. Los Angeles has been the first team to score 100. Both times, the Warriors have come back to win. Lawler's Law has been broken twice already. Golden State just does not care about breaking the law. There are a bunch of criminals up there in the Bay Area. That's amazing, and it just speaks to these late-game comebacks that Golden State have had both games. And... It's just devastating. Watching the game last night, 
it was just so disappointing. I can only imagine for a Clippers fan, it was very exciting as a neutral party for me, but I can only imagine how it felt. I feel like it's I'm watching these games in slow motion because after the Rockets collapse, I'm always Last year ready. Playoff game and, six. Yep. <laughs> it seems like it's inevitable against these teams that can shoot the three. The Clippers are just susceptible to comebacks, it seems. Yeah, I think we'll save that topic of Clippers collapses for future episodes and just close out here. Probably for the best. Yeah, I, I don't want to keep you talking about these disappointing things anymore Thanks. for your own mental health. We have a new Facebook page, facebook.com slash on the NBA beat. If you can throw us a like there, that'd be cool. We really appreciate it. I also want to give a shout out to Derek Keller who sent us a tweet all the way from Oldenburg, Germany. From about, Deutschland. About our comments on Dennis Schroeder last episode. It's great to hear interaction. We're big in Germany. We love our German fans. Great to see interaction from all around the world. Maybe and not bigger than the Hoff, but we're up there. Yeah, so if you're listening to us from outside the U.S., send us a tweet at on the NBA Beat. We'd love to hear from you. We'll shout you out. At Derek Keller. Follow that guy. Anyway, that's our show. Thanks for listening. As always, I'm Lauren Lee Chen. Alongside me is Joshua Jonah Fishman. And we'll be back with another team on Wednesday. Stay fly.